0: And so when I was trying to decide what to preach about and where to step my sermon, because that gave me a lot of leeway, because I did whatever you want, and that wasn't so good for me. I had no idea where to go, but I was reading Hebrews at the time, and I realized I didn't really understand too much. So I figured, well, how about I do a sermon on it, sermon on it, and hopefully i come out the other side understanding a bit of it. And hopefully you guys do too. on yeah, yeah. So in verse 1, it says, therefore... Since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you have been none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have well, we had the good news proclaim to us, just as they did. But the message, message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter the rest of that rest just as God has said. So I declare to my oath, my anger, they, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. In the seventh day God rested from all his works, and again in the passage passage above, he says, They shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for us, was some to enter with that rest, and since those who formerly had the news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again said a certain day, calling it today. This is when a long time later he spoke from David. As in the passage already quoted, today we hear his voice, do not harden the hearts. But if Joshua had give, given them rest, God would have not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. But everyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every enter to enter that rest, so that, so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to the writing soul and spirit. Joint and mirror, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to we must give accounts. The Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our witnesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Amen. That's our good prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that the Spirit can be active in me, Lord, in preaching your word, and I can do an adequate job in explaining what the Hebrews writer is saying in this passage. There is so much happening, there's so much meaning in death, but I pray, Lord, by the end of the week, we can just fully understand what it means to have rest in you. Uh, Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that the word is heavy, and as it says, it cuts deep. I pray, Lord, the hearts of everyone here can have their hearts cut by your word, and they can be convicted. I pray that your person may Man. So rest. It's it's an interesting topic. It's not as straightforward as I expected it when I first tried to do this. Uh, it's it's a very multi-dimensional theme, and it goes throughout the entire Bible. And so when I first came to the point, where I was trying to prepare for my sermon. My idea of rest was you know chilling, kicking back, maybe with Byron, and I uh, grabbing some <laughs> hungry jacks and I'm going to beer. Uh, that was my idea of rest: stopping and having a relaxing time. But that's not the idea that the Bible looks for. The theme of rest in the Bible is stats. So as you read the Bible, you get more and more laid onto it. That's why the theme of rest is kind of hard to talk about, because it's not a set definition. It changes and it evolves as you read. So with that being said, a lot is happening happening in the Hebrews Hebrews 4 passage um, that we have to look at. Thanks. And so, rest is this idea that, I mean, the first instance of rest, and it refers to it in, in, in the passage in Hebrews in verse 3, that on the seventh day, God rested from all his works. We are, and so we are introducing the theme of rest from the very beginning of the Bible, even before any real instructions have been given. And so, I have three main points of discernment. The, the first one is, what is rest? The uh, second is, we don't lose out on God's rest. And the, ther- the third one is the way in. How do we enter God's rest? So, what is rest? In Genesis, it talks, in Genesis 1 and 2, it talks a lot about rest. And that's the first thing that kind of came to my mind when I was trying to research what rest was and why And so if you're not familiar with the idea of, of what happens in creation at the beginning of Genesis, God goes on and creates six success day after day he's creating and and the universe starts to take shape and after each day he looks on what he's made and he says it is good he likes what he's made it's like a pat on the back on us and so by the time he reaches day seven he rests and he he notes that day seven is different to the rest of the days because he he blesses that day and he makes it holy now straight away that should tell us that rest is different base 7 is different and there's a lot hinging on that and so as you read through the first little point I, I can try kind to of take out of the Genesis recount is rest has a timeline there's a sequence of events you work and then rest not the other way around although that's sometimes how we want it to be right but work precedes rest and so once God reaches the seventh day. Well, from my mind, I'm like, oh, maybe God is tired. Maybe God is, you know, he wants to take a break, he wants to chill out and have a beer with his mates, just like I do sometimes. Okay? <laughs> but that idea, although it's correct, although God is uh, tired, from God, not tired, but although God, God does have works prior to his rest, the idea that God will be fatigued is way too shallow of understanding of what rest means. And we're really selling ourselves short of what it means to rest. So, the number seven. And if if you've read the Bible a bit, the number seven pops up over and over again. It's a recurring thing. Numbers are big in the Bible. And so number seven has has this idea of completeness. And the the Jewish religious calendar was heavily hinged or heavily structured around this idea that there is, the number seven is significance, And which makes sense, right? Because the story of creation yeah. leads up to number seven. And a really cool part of the story of creation in Genesis is we get an idea that rest and time are interlinked, which is a really important concept to understand. Because when we look at further concepts in the Bible, understanding how time connects to everything is gonna be essential. And I like to think of it like this, God has given us a blueprint of what rest is meant to look like. Worth leading up to an eventual rest, an eventual seventh day. But we have to be mindful that the rest we are looking for as Christians isn't the rest that some people might say you experience immediately here in our lives now. It's different, that's peace. Peace and rest are two very different things. What we can see in the Genesis recount is rest is in the future. Rest is something we are building up to. Our time here on earth at the moment is work-based. Not in terms of our salvation, like Jack kind of pointed out, but in terms of our lives here working for God and his kingdom. Our rest is in the future. Amen. So, next point I want to make is, the number seven is a big deal, which I kind of already alluded to earlier. And like I said, time and rest and the number seven are all interlinked. And so, the even though the theme of rest was introduced early in the Bible, the actual commandment to rest isn't introduced until 70 chapters into the Bible. Which is quite deep, right? And 70. 7 times 10, I don't know if it's coincidence, who knows, okay? But 7 does pop up quite a bit. And so the first instance of the command to rest is found in Exodus 20. And then, of course, Moses comes down from Mount Sinai, he has the commandments, tablets, and he says, Keep holding Sabbath, remembering the Sabbath. And the Sabbath is an interesting thing, because it was a core principle of every week for the Jewish people. So once in every seven days, once again seven, the Jews would have a Sabbath day. And the word Sabbath, literally, or in Hebrew, it's, it's Sabbath, which kind of means to cease work, to stop, and so they're here, so sorry, the Jews would have one day where they would just cease work and recognize what God did in creation. It's like they were imitating God. Which uh, which is a which is a difficult thing to understand, to imitate God, right? Where can you go from there? So, how do I like, imitate God? But the Sabbath was a way for the Jews to imitate God's character and imitate the design of rest that he had given them. But it must have been hard, right? To rest one day a week. To do nothing, because it was rigorous. The Jews were not allowed to do so many different things. It was pretty much, it was very legalistic as the Jews were. Uh And so they had so many restrictions. Can you think about how it would have affected you if you had to rest for one day and do nothing? It would be bad for business, right? It would be bad for families. It would be bad for relationships. It would be bad for studies. Although I rest for multiple days anyway. It's, it, would be very, it would be very difficult to rest through life. But by holding the Sabbath, the Jews are recognizing that God's way is better than their own way. Knowing God's way is better. It's, it's important for us to understand the concept of rest. And so if you go even further, uh, in terms of like the Jewish religious uh, calendar, they have a year of Jubilee. Uh, also known as like the year of your belt, which, um, which was, I don't know, it's, it's like the ultimate set, kind of. It would be that would happen once every 49 years, or on 50 years, so after 49 years, which, if you could have math, yeah, then, seven times seven, right? Yep. right that seven keeps on popping up again and again. And so, on this year, they would have, uh, it was called kind of like the year of release where property uh, was made uh, public to everyone and uh, and when you were a slave, you were set free. Which is also a very interesting concept because also slavery Mm. and the Jews had a bit of history. If you're familiar with uh, Exodus, the the slaves, or the Jews, leave Egypt out of slavery and are led into the promised land eventually. Mm. And so, we get this insight to how number seven is connected to to the concept of slavery. But I, I like the fact that they haven't given Jubilee. So previous, previously to this, I really didn't have too much idea about Jubilee. I sung about it. I've seen it in songs, and it sounds like a cool word, Jubilee. But what it actually meant didn't hold too much weight to me. But for the Jews. The year of Jubilee was a massive event where they would remember the times where they were led out of Egypt and from slavery. It had a big deal. And so, I, I find it interesting because the Jews were remembering their slavery. And, uh, and, there's, and when you think about it, the, the idea of slavery is very relevant to us today, right? Uh, maybe not in terms of literally because no one is slaves here but as Christians, the theme of slavery, if it was done like not through Romans the idea that we are slaves to sin pop up, well, pops up multiple, multiple times this is a recurring theme in the Bible and so even though we don't necessarily celebrate the year of Jubilee, the theme the meaning behind the year of Jubilee is still very relevant to us today and so we have to understand that uh, rest encompasses The idea that God's way is better but also that we have been led out of slavery that's an aspect of remembering and recognizing what God's rest is and also there's an aspect of submitting to God's control which is slightly harder to, to really understand um, but when you read the, the recount of Genesis, when it doesn't matter if you take it literally or symbolically, because there is an order, because time is so closely connected, we get the idea that God is all powerful over time, and that's a really important thing. Like I said, time, the number seven, and rest are all connected intimately. And so, in order, in order for us to understand and really appreciate what rest is, we have to recognise that we ourselves do not have dominion over time which kind of makes sense right i mean we can we can plan and schedule events uh the best we want uh the best we can and uh and it sometimes doesn't work out i mean i had plans uh for this week to go watch the nba it doesn't work out the nba gets cancelled because of coronavirus plans don't go ahead the way we plan because time is not at our fingertips time belongs to god And so in order for us to really appreciate rest, we have to understand that time is limited to God's control, not ours. And the Jews, when they would have the year of Jubilee or when they would have the day of Sabbath, they were recognizing for one day at least that they don't have power at the time. God does. And that would affect their entire lives. And that's the meaning we've got to take from those events that we don't have control. I mean, we look at, there's a, sorry, there's a Jewish scholar, I can't pronounce his name very well, I'll give it a shot. Uh, his name is Matitahu Hu I probably really bought it. Uh, you guys know, are nice you don't know if it's true or not. Uh, <laughs> but he starts a biblical phrase, it's the Sabbath of Yahweh, the Sabbath of God. And he's referring to the fact that Sabbath, belonging to God, should inform us that we do not have full autonomy over anything we go about life, we think to ourselves, we look at time and we think to ourselves, time is an object we own. We spend time, we waste time, uh, we use time sometimes. <laughs> but the reality is, time is not something we own and control, it's God's authority. And we need to understand that God's authority is the way we enter rest. And the last point, which i kind of touched on earlier is that relief from debt and slavery I and mean, then year jubilee, they would leave slavery while slaves would be separate Remember, of the time that the, the jews were let out of egypt All right? so that's that five core points to understand what rest or what what is happening with rest so on, on, John. in order to understand what rest is we also have to understand how can we miss out? Because that's a yeah. huge theme in this passage, passage in Hebrews 4. We can miss out, and it's a scary thought. Just like the Israelites miss out on the rest, we can also. Yeah. So, to give context about what the passage I'm about to read is uh, the Israelites have just been led out of slavery, and have walked through the desert, and have come to the land of Canaan. And what Moses does, as is commanded by God, is to send some spies, one spy from each tribe to 12 Twelve spies into the land of Canaan and bring back a report about what's happening. And so we kind of pick up from that point. So in Numbers thirteen, uh, verse twenty-six, it says, "They came back to Moses, Aaron, and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account." We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Kittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites lived in the hill country, and the Canaanites lived near the sea and along the Jordan but then caleb silenced the people before moses and said we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it but the men who had gone up with him said we can't attack those people they are stronger than we are and they spread among the israelites a bad report about the land. they had explored and they said the land we explored devours those who live in it living in it all the people we saw There of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Abak come from the Nephilim. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. But it's an interesting idea. God has led them out of Egypt to the point of entering the land He has promised. But the reports they are getting back, though they are good, they have evidence. the land is indeed good and god's promise is true it's mixed in with some doubts and really first of all i want to talk about how the number 40 like number seven is very symbolic anytime the number 40 pops up in the bible we know that it's a symbolic of testing you think of the moments now like uh israelites in the desert that's when they were being tested you think about jesus when he goes into the desert to be tempted by Satan. It is a time of testing. Jesus is tested for 40 days. Anytime the number 40 pops up, we know it's a point of testing. But the Israelites failed this test. They are on the brink of entering that promised land, but they fail. So let's look at why, because if it's relevant to those people, it is extra relevant to us. Considering what happened to the Israelites as so they left Egypt, they would have seen miracles, all these crazy things happening, yep. and they would have been led up by a, a, what, a, a, a cloud or a a, a tornado of, of what is it dust by day and a tornado of fire by night. They would have seen really cool things. They would have been led straight through the Red Sea by Moses. These are people who saw miracles, and what they had the evidence that the land was good. So, if, it's, if they can pull back, if they can uh, miss out on the rest, yeah. we need to guard our hearts extra short. That's right. Because we don't have that. We have the Bible, which is powerful, but we don't have those obvious, visible miracles to be led off. And so, my first point really is, my first sub point is, rest is easy to miss. It doesn't take much. Now when you look at the passage, uh, it says, it says uh, in verse, where is it, uh, it says, from verse 26 to verse 27, it seems like everything is going good, for the Israelites, it seems that like they're all on board ready to go to the promised land. But as soon as verse, uh, as soon as verse 28 appears, it begins with a, a but. But, a small little butt, a small little piece of doubt that the spies are placed in the minds of the Israelites. But it's interesting, we see that little butt, and it grows. Yeah. And we see what happens next. In verse, well, it, it says, uh, but the people who live there are powerful. The cities are fortified. And from there, it goes again to verse 31. It begins with another but. It says, but, and then it leads into weak hearts. We can't attack those people, they are stronger than we are. And so we get the idea of a small bus becomes a very big bus, quickly. Mm. What's that <laughs> <laughs> Give me <twice>. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Come on. Man. So all these guys seem on board, but the attitude quickly turns yeah. and suddenly they're not on board. It takes one small but to become we can't. Yeah. And we actually look in verse, I mean, sorry, chapter 14, it goes from only a couple of people spreading it to suddenly it's the whole camp. Yeah. The whole camp is grumbling against Moses and they're saying, hey, we were better off in Egypt as slaves. Yeah. Which is a weird thought. They're about to enter the promised land, they were promised by God, and now they want to go back to slavery where they'll be worse again. But that's what happens, a seed of doubt. That's how quickly can grow. And that's how irrational things can be. And it makes me think of, uh, obviously our present day scenario would be coronavirus, right? Uh, it's oh, powerful, right? It's, it's, it's relevant. It's, it's true. Coronavirus is dangerous. I'm not going to diminish it, but the way the media has portrayed it has sparked panic in our community. People are scared. People are fighting on a toilet paper. <laughs> no. I mean, come on. I can't find toilet paper anywhere. I feel like it's all Um, And so we have to, we have to be aware that panic goes very quickly, but panic is also very irrational. The Israelites would rather go back to Egypt than enter a land of milk and honey. And that should scare us, okay? Because if it can happen to them, it can happen to us. And finally, when I when I look at the idea of a bus. It's interesting because the rumors are circulating. But how do rumors circulate? Through speech. And so, what we see in verse in verse thirty, uh, Caleb silences the people before Moses because he's recognizing that people are murmuring, people are gossiping, and stuff is starting to spread around. Unbelief is starting to infect people, which relates to coronavirus again, because unbelief. Spreads like a virus. It's contagious. And just with a few people talking, suddenly the whole pen is against going in. It doesn't take long to spread. But we have to be considerate of this because you have to say that ask yourself, what's the widespread of my speech? Because we live in a time where it's very easy to spread pen. As we found out with the toilet paper thing. But with us, we are set apart from the world, okay? And we are God's people, so we have to consider If we're going to be spreading pain and unbelief, that quickly translates into disobedience. And from there, it translates into missing out on God's rest. So what happens to the Israelites? They are sent back into the wilderness, 40 years, and that entire generation is killed off by God. That's some serious consequences, okay? Yes. yes. Uh, we better watch our speech. Watch what we spread. Because it has a real life impact on us. Mm. Come on, John I have this little picture of uh, <laughs> John- computer trying to protect himself from the coronavirus, okay? Uh, that's what we call everyone. Uh, uh, but like I said, I mean John's making isn't making fun of it, of course, you don't really stop powerful, with do you? No, okay. Sure. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, coronavirus, like, unbelief, is spreads. Yeah. So, don't miss out. Rest is easiness. Small bugs lead to big bugs. Unbelief spreads out the virus. Yeah. And no, oh, that's my last point. No giant is bigger than God's promise. I mean, uh, yeah. Because that's what happens, right? Yeah. They're learning about all these things which are real. In the land of Canaan, there were people massive. We know this because one Israelite boy, a farm boy, slays a, a giant later on in the Bible. Of course, it's David, right? Slaying the So we know these giants are real. They're in, in, they're in that land. But in the minds of the Jews, in the minds of the Israelites, the giants are much bigger than God's promise. And there's no, there's no sense of we aren't going to have challenges as Christians. Okay, if no one's told you that, it's untrue. As Christians, we have, or we're supposed to have, more challenges. Because we take on a a work with God in a world which is rebelling against God. So if you're not having some kind of opposition or confrontation, then you're probably having a Christian walk in the wrong direction. We should expect confrontation, we should expect giants in our life. But the reality is, no giants, no challenge is larger than the promises God has made us. I haven't remembered that. Wow, it's, it's powerful. Yeah. Okay, some of we have that boldness to enter into a land full of giants. Really we all have different giants, right? We all have I mean everyone's really gonna have a either problem with relationships, financial issues, uh you may have uh uh have issues with your family, health issues. Okay, there's lots of different giants we have. But as long as we stay steadfast to the promise of God. And we recognize that, that promise is stronger than any giant we can possibly face, then suddenly we begin to enter rest. At oh, the very least we enter a peace which leads to rest later. Amen? Amen. 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 <laughs> so, how about we look at the way in? Tell us. So, the way in, you could you could feasibly, you could listen to, uh, I mean, you could read the first part of Hebrews. Okay, figures 4. And you can get the impression that because the Israelites don't enter uh, the Promised Land, because of disobedience, the correct way to enter the Promised Land is through obedience. That would be the wrong way to read it. Oh sorry, Stefan. Okay. Because obedience is not the way we enter. Because once you get to uh once you get to verse 12, I believe, it says Come on, John this well, it talks about how the word of God is live and active. It's sharper than any 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 double-edged sword Thanks, Okay? And it judges the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts. Yeah. Right? And it it, it lays bare what we have before God, who we must give account to. Yeah. And as soon as you read that, your mind to be okay, I can be obedient enough to enter God's rest. Because when you read that, honestly, and you're sober about it, and you think about, Do I, am I ever going to be obedient enough? The reality is your heart would never be obedient enough to enter God's rest. It's just not good enough. Which is a scary thought. If, if the Hebrews passage ended on that thought, it'd be kind of depressing. But fortunately, it goes a bit deeper, okay, okay. So and it gives us a way, and that way is found in, in verse, in verse fourteen and sixteen. With obviously Jesus. Now, really quickly, that therefore, since we have a great and great high priest who ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. But we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness. Weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus as the high priest. Now, if you don't know much about the high priest in the old covenant, the high priest was the guy who kind of was who was a mediator between the people, the Israelites, and God himself. And then we have the tabernacle. And in the tabernacle was the Holy of Holies, which was like a confined restricted space where no one except except the uh, high priest could enter once a year, and only after he completed many, many different rituals. So the idea is that Jesus, as our high priest, is our way to God. And it talks about how Jesus intercedes for us through grace. And because of that, we now enter the holy of Holies. In the past, in the old covenant, if you would come in contact with God, you were destroyed. How could a sinful person come in contact with a pure, righteous being? It just didn't happen. But now, because we come through Jesus, suddenly it's different. Okay, and he's the ultimate high priest. And so, I think of when I think of like Jesus, the high priest, and us entering the holy of Holies, It's a really cool thought, because at the same time, Jesus is a man. So we have a high priest who, for the Jews, would be separate from the Israelites. But for us, we have the high priest who intercedes for us, who allows us to enter God's presence, who is also someone who can relate to us, can empathize with us, he knows our weakness. And where he was tempted in the desert for 40 days, he succeeded where the Israelites failed. They yeah. both go in a period of testing. A lot, right? one enters God's rest, and the others are turned back into the desert. So we have someone who is all powerful, who is capable, who is perfect, but who is also a man we can connect to. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Bam. Yeah. And so the last point I want to look at real quickly is we should rest confidently, like Jack was talking about with and um, Anton. We should walk around like a boss. Okay, because that's the type of confidence we should have as we approach the throne of grace. Because it's no longer a throne of wrath where we're going to be destroyed as soon as we come into the presence of God. Because we have been given grace, we are able to approach the throne confidently. And I like in um, I like how in, in the final, in the final uh, sentence it talks about how We are to we are given and we receive mercy, but we have to find grace. It's an interesting distinction, right? Mercy is this idea of we don't get what we deserve; we're spared from God's judgment. But it doesn't just stop there, because grace is the opposite idea, where we are given something we don't deserve. And and mercy it can be given, okay, but for some reason people struggle with the idea of grace. Just like Jack was saying, the idea of grace doesn't come naturally to us. To be given something we d- don't deserve—it's almost like a try I don't want handouts, but that's what we need to understand if we want to enter God's grace: is we can't possibly merit it. And so, I, I, have, I have a good example of, uh, of grace. I don't know how I'm going over time, um, but I'll wrap it up quickly. Is I think of Pam. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Hi guys, come on. Come on, John, tell us. <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> so if, if you approach the attention of Pam she shuts down. Like she, her face places like right now, for example, okay? Alright? She shuts down. Alright, because she views attention as something she doesn't deserve. In the same way with grace, we view grace and, and righteousness righteousness that God gives us as something we don't deserve and we tend to shy away from it. But that's the reality of what God has done for us, what Jesus has done for us by his sacrifice. And we not only have been spared God's wrath, but we have been given a righteousness with it. It's a two-way thing. And because of that, we can enter God's rest. And so, as I wrap up, um, I just want you to think about some of the points we've looked at and how and the different elements of rest and how, how diverse and, um, and, and complicated it is. Also think about how easy it is to miss out on it. But also remember, we have the ability. The scriptures in Hebrew says, today we enter God's rest. Okay? Today we have that same chance, because it is still relevant to us today. And so, we have seen the fruits, and we know that God's promises for us entering his rest still stand. And like the Hebrew writer says, we need to make every effort so that we don't fall short of it. Amen. 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 All right, let's have a quick prayer. we're going to end. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just want to thank you for being able to come here, even though it's a time and a period of, uh, in, in our world where it's unstable. Uh, we don't know what's happening in the world. It's serious stuff. Okay, but I just want to thank you for the fact that we have stability in you, Lord. Uh, we can find rest and we can find assurance in the promises that you have made us, Lord. And it doesn't matter what happens in this life, Lord. Uh, because you, your promises extend way past it. Your rest goes way past this life into the next life. Amen. And Lord, that's why I pray that um, as, we, um, as we go out about our, our lives, Lord, we, we are like this, life. we don't miss out. But well, we don't panic, we don't spread unbelief. But instead, Lord, we can find a, a way to fixate firmly on Jesus and what He has done for us. Hmm. Because only through Jesus, only through the righteousness and grace that he has given us, Amen. can we ever hope to enter your rest. That's why I think so much that it is possible for us. I mean, it's it's incredible for you to have signaled us out, out individually and be willing to have had Jesus sacrifice himself for us. And uh, you really are. But Jesus really is a man who we can empathize with and can relate to. And that's why I think so much that he is our Savior. And uh, I pray this in your son's precious name. Amen. Amen.